This week, in preparing for my message, I did some informal, non-scientific research. I asked about 15 or so people. I know that's why I call it informal and non-scientific, because I don't even know how many people I asked. But I asked them this question. Have you planned your funeral? I just asked a bunch of people, have you planned your funeral? And I got a lot of questions about it. I got questions that said, no, not thought of it. I got other questions that says, yeah, I have a plot. I got other questions. Some people said, um, I, I want to be cremated. That's all I know. A couple people said, yes. A couple people said, I did. I know who I want to speak at it. I even picked my pallbearers, but they're not in my life anymore, so that doesn't work. You know, one friend of mine lives in Maryland. She had the very best answer of all of them. All right. She said, I've never planned my own, but I plan my husband's every day. (laughs) And she could pull that off. All right. I have a question for you today. And it's the kind of question that I hope you walk away with today. And if you need to get out your pen and paper to write it down, I want you to. Because I am asking you the same question I asked those people this week. Have you planned your own funeral? Have you thought about it? Have you considered what that day would be like? And even more importantly, have you considered what the day after the time you close your eyes for the very last time, have you considered what's going to happen in the next moment. In that moment, when you close your eyes for the very last time, what is waiting for you? What is on the other side? For me, I I have to answer the question since I asked the question. That's only fair. I have planned a lot of parts of my funeral. Betty Jo, can you please take notes? I don't know if I've told you all this. All right, great. Um, And so my friend Gary... Um, Gary and I were at a funeral just a few months ago together, and he was sitting next to me. And I, when we got done, I just said, and I bet he was there with me, I said, when we do this for me, I want you to do that for me, okay? I want you to talk. Now, Gary, he used to be a pastor here, and Gary has known me for many years, and we've gone through all kinds of things and shared all kinds of things. So Gary will know how to talk about me because he knows my ugly as well as my pretty. My nieces and my nephews, they're going to play music for me because they're all extremely gifted musicians. And my one nephew plays in a country western band. Isn't that nice? And so um, he's going to to definitely play I'll Fly Away on the fiddle. Not on the violin. Not on the violin, but on the fiddle. All right? And he's not going to play it like they play it in church. He's going to play it like he's playing in a honky-tonk. All right? Lively, upbeat, crazy. And that's what I've asked him for. And every time I see him, I always say, you remember, you're playing, right? And he always kind of looks at me strange. So I understand that. <laughs> now, absolutely, there'll be sadness anytime you have to lose someone you love because there's that separation that comes at a funeral. But along with that sadness, in my, in my funeral, what I really want is I want there to be a great, great sense of hope. I want people to come and maybe be sad, but I want them to come and have this anticipation for their own life. Because let me just tell you, I have no doubt that by the time you arrive here to see my cremated ashes standing in front of this church, I am already going to be with the Lord. I am going to be skinny. (laughs) 
my cholesterol levels will be the best they've ever been. And I will never cry another tear or suffer another moment for the rest of eternity. And I have no doubt about that at all. Because a promise has been made to me and to many of you in this room that when we die, we will be with the Lord because he has made a promise that he is going to prepare a place for us. So let me ask you again. Have you thought about your funeral? Have you thought about that moment after you close your eyes? What to expect on the other side? If you're uncertain about what's going to happen on the other side of death, I guess it would be very hard to plan your funeral. I know that, um, you know, I've said this many times before. I've said it many, and I, and I can't help but say it again because it was just such a stark illustration to me. But when we, when, when we had the service for my father-in-law, we, we came together in that room, and as sad as we were about Joe's passing, there was a calmness about it. There was a peace that existed in that room. And that sometime during that morning, I went into the hallway to get a drink, and there was another funeral across the hallway, and there was no peace in that room. The sorrow and the sadness and the grief poured through that door as people came and went, and you heard what was happening in that room. And it was such a stark contrast to the confidence that one would have about a loved one who had died and was already with Jesus to something else that was happening in that room that was unsettling and unspeakably sad. Christ gives us that kind of confidence. And and that confidence that we have is because of what happened on Easter Day, on Resurrection Sunday, centuries, centuries ago. And so very often, it might be hard for some people to figure out what they would say, what they would do at a funeral if they don't know Christ, if they don't know what they believe, because they just don't know what to expect when they die. But let me give you a little history lesson on where death came from and why it happens to every single one of us. Did you know that there was a time when death did not exist? Have you thought about that? That there was a time when death did not exist. When nothing died. I don't know how long that existed. I'm not sure. But Scripture says that there was a time when all of creation was in harmony. When, when the trees, the plants, the animals, the insects, the, the fish, the birds, everything was in harmony. All of creation was in harmony. Husband and wife, they really liked marriage in that time. There was harmony. It was the perfect marriage. But more importantly than that, there was absolute harmony between God and man. Absolute harmony. The first book of the Bible tells us that, that when Genesis, in Genesis that when the world was created, there was nothing amiss or wrong with it. No shame, no guilt, no conflict. So you've got to ask, why changed? What happened that left us in such a mess? God gave Adam and Eve the choice to obey or to disobey. He gave them the choice. He gave them free will. 
And he gave them one rule, just one. Don't eat from that tree. That was the only standard they had to live by. And he gave them the choice to abide by it. And they chose no. They chose to disobey. They chose to break the one rule. They were told not to eat from the one tree, and that's exactly what they did. Now, you know what that's like, especially if you're a parent. You know what that's like. You can say, don't touch that. Don't touch those cookies. Don't turn on that TV. Don't text that friend. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to walk over there to that TV. They're going to walk over to those cookies, and they're going to put their finger on it, and they're going to try and look at you and like, uh, and just dare you to do anything. And if you are a mother or a parent of a child with a device, you know what I'm talking about. They're going to text that friend no matter what because life and death hinges on that text. It doesn't matter. When we are told no, there is this DNA in us, this spiritual DNA in us that says yes, that says I want what I cannot have. And so Adam and Eve did that. They exercised their free will to go against the will of God. And we understand that because there are babies in the room around here and everything that no one taught them how to say no. No one taught them how to say mine when their sibling even looked at a toy. No one taught them to that, to do that because it was built into their spiritual DNA. And it's a part of your DNA and a part of my DNA. The Bible caused this wrong sin, and it teaches us that sin entered through Adam. There's this verse that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Rome and Romans 5.12, and it says, And Adam sinned. When, when Adam sinned, sin entered the entire human race. His sin spread death throughout all the world, so everything began to grow old and die, for all sinned. When sin entered the equation, it ruined the harmony between God and man. God cannot exist with sin, God and man sinned, and so his sin separated him from God. Man's sin ruined paradise. It ruined creation. It separated all creation. It separated all creation. Animals feared men, and men feared animals. Before man sinned, he didn't fear the weather, or the earthquakes, or the forest fires, or the hurricanes, or the droughts, because they didn't exist, because Creation was in harmony. It was unbroken. But in that sin, that was broken. And therefore came all of those fears that we have about weather. And before man sinned, man didn't fear other men. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 8 that all creation groans waiting for the day. We sing about it this morning in that one song. And I think the line goes something like this. Does not all creation Grown. And it's, the answer is, it does. Because in that time, in that time of harmony, there were no thorns or thistles or death or decay, but man's choice changed all of that. And Paul wrote also in that same letter in chapter 6, 23, he said that the wages of sin is death. In other words, when we sin, what we get from that sin is death. And that death looks like separation. That death means that there's that brokenness in us causes us to be in conflict with ourselves, with one another, with creation, with God. Now, let me just say something. If you have a loved one, think about this. If you have a loved one that is suffering from dementia, don't hate the disease, hate sin. 
lupus, lupus, Parkinson's, autism, every autoimmune disorder known to man, all of them are the result of sin because sin introduced death and decay into the world system. So now men, women, and children die not because of disease, but because sin entered into our world. Every man and woman one day will die because of sin, and sin introduced death into our world and into our life, and ever since then mankind has lived in fear of death, and done all they can to avoid it, to escape it, to prolong life as long as they possibly can, to put off the inevitable at all costs. People do strange things to try and live another year, another day. But to no avail, because no one can cheat death. The Bible teaches us that after death, everyone has to give an account for themselves to the, on the other side. Everyone will have to answer to God for one question. One question. What do you believe about Jesus? That question. I don't know how God's going to ask it. I don't know what that's going to look like exactly. But I know that that question is going to be put before every man, woman, and child when they come before the judge. And he will, in some way or another, say, what did you believe about Jesus? Because you see, this is the thing. The only way to enter into heaven, the only way to have an eternal relationship with God is to have believed that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the sins for all of mankind and three days later rose again to have victory over death. That is what one must believe that day when they're asked. But there are many people who believe he was a good man. There are many people that believe he was a prophet. There are many people who believe he was a phony. But there's only one right answer that the God of the universe will accept. And it is the answer of, I believed that Jesus was the Son of God who died for the sins of the world and rose again on the third day. That is the only answer. But did you notice something I just said? Did you notice that I just said that Jesus died He died. He no longer took breath into his body and put it back out again. The blood stopped flowing. The brain stopped working. The heart stopped functioning. He was dead. The Roman authorities said he was dead. They claimed him to be dead. He died on the cross. The Bible says in Philippians 2, verses 7 and 8, it says that Jesus Christ, who though he was God, did not demand and cling to his rights as God, but laid aside his mighty power and glory, taking the disguise of a slave and becoming like a man. And he humbled himself even further, going so far as to actually die a criminal's death on the cross. Now, just pause right there. Let me just make sure you understand something here. This is God who says that I am going to send my son. So he is going to, in a sense, take off the robe of glory and everything that made him God and everything that he shared in heaven as he, as he was a part of the Trinity. He took that off and came and said, I will be a man and I will live among them. But that wasn't enough. Then he did something that he didn't have to do. He died. It wasn't like he played like a man and did everything but die. It wasn't like he was kind of like a man. It was that he came as man and lived like men and women 
And then on that day, when they nailed him to that cross and he sucked in that last breath, that was his last breath and he died. The Son of God in that moment died. A rich man came and claimed his body, took it, prepared it to some degree for the tomb and laid him in a stone tomb, dead. And on the third day, death could not hold him any longer. And on the third day, he came back to life. Resurrection was his. Death could not claim him. Death could not defeat him. And for the first time since the garden, death had found to be lacking. Death was not powerful enough to hold Jesus because Jesus demonstrated that the power of God was more great than the power of death. And that is why Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where then is your victory? Where then is your sting? For sin, the sting that causes death, will all be gone. You see what he's saying? He said that in Christ, death was no longer found to be the ultimate power, the undefeated hero, the undefeated champion. That in Christ, he defeated death. Because see, the thing about death is, is that before Christ, then anyone who doesn't know that when they die, they, they are eternally separated from God. And what happened with Christ when he defeated death, he made, he opened the door for mankind to have a relationship with God in eternity, forever. But the key to that door opening for you and me was to believe that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, was falsely accused, and ultimately died for the sins he never committed. In that same passage from 1 Corinthians 15, it, we read, death came into the world because of what one man, being Adam, did, and it is because of what another man, Christ, has done, that now there is resurrection from the dead. Everyone dies because all of us are related to Adam, being members of this sinful race, and whatever there is sin, death results, but all who are related to Christ will rise again. That was never possible before Christ defeated death and was resurrected from the grave. No one had the hope of being risen from the grave before Christ. Death had ruled all mankind unchallenged, as every man, woman, and child suffered death with no hope of escaping it. But Jesus came to earth, set aside all the glory of God to live as a man and even suffer to die as a man, only to be brought back to life by the power of God and to overcome death, so that all who believe in his name and claim his death as their death can experience resurrection one day. Easter... Resurrection Sunday is about the resurrection of Christ. It's about escaping death and having hope for an eternity with God apart from all suffering. And that is why a funeral can be a celebration of love and joy to come even as we grieve the loss of a loved one. That is how someone can plan a funeral knowing that joy and peace everlasting awaits all those who die knowing Christ. To experience freedom from death is to understand that Jesus actually 
died on that cross and why he died. You heard Scott explain it wonderfully. But I want to give you another opportunity to understand it. Imagine you had a sheet of paper with your name on it, and at the top, under your name, is listed every single one of the sins you've ever created. And I do mean all of them. And from the first time you said no to your mama, all the way down through the time you pulled Susie's hair in the first grade, to when you cheated on the test in fifth grade, all the jealousy you've ever had, all the lust for sex, power, and money you've ever had, the fits of anger, the gossip, the lies, the indifference to the suffering of others, every time you've ever doubted God and tried to handle life your own way, all of those sins would be listed on the pages of your, on all those pages, and it would probably be volumes, would it not? Volumes of sin. So you have a piece of paper with your name on it. And all your sins are listed, volumes, pages after pages. But then Jesus has a sheet of paper as well. And it has his name at the top. And it lists all of his sins. And you find the page to be blank because there were none. But when he was nailed to the cross, he died for the sins of the world, for every sin that had ever been committed by everyone, and he reached out to you and to me to exchange our paper for his. Romans 5.21, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, he took my list of sins and crossed my name on, off of it and wrote his name on it. And he took that to the cross and says, I'm dying for these sins. And in that moment, when we believe him as our Savior, he hands us his sheet of paper that has no sins on it at all. He said, I died for your sins so that you would be found sinless. What he did on that cross was an exchange. It was substitutionary, like Scott said, but it was an exchange. All of my volumes of sins, he took them on the cross and he died for all of them and he gave me a blank sheet of paper and he scratched out his name and he put my name on it and he says, I've died for your sins so that when the Father looks at you, he'll find you to be sinless. He will look at you as if you'd never sinned for all your sins are paid for. It's as if you'd never sinned while he died for sins he never committed. This morning, if you've never understood that the death of Christ accomplished on the cross, I hope that that simple analogy, I hope that what Scott said could explain it in a way that you might hear it for the first time, just like Scott did in the car that day. Just like I did as a 12-year-old. Just like so many others in this room have done. At different times and places where one day they heard it, one day it, it sunk in in such a way that they went, I understand that, and I want that to be mine. I want to believe that for me. There are many people who would tell you, well, what you need to do is you need to, you need to do certain things to be able to enter into a relationship with Christ. You need to be able to do certain things that you, so you can be good enough to get into heaven. But you heard Scott say it, and I'm going to repeat it. You cannot be good enough to get into heaven. There is nothing that you have to do at all to get into heaven. It's what you believe. 
And there are people around this world by the billions who believe that they can earn their way and work their way into heaven. And what God is saying is to stop believing you can do it and to believe that Jesus died for your sins. And he paid for them so you don't have to. It's not an issue of what you're doing or not doing. It's an issue of what you believe. Now, once you begin to believe that, it will change some of the things you're doing. But those changes do not affect your eternal destiny. Only what you believe. Only what you believe. There are no special words. There is nothing you have to write, no pledge card you have to make, but there is this expression in your own heart of your desire to believe that Jesus died for your sins and that you could never do that. In the quietness of your own heart, just like Scott did in his car, just like so many other people have done, a friend, one of, one of us did it underneath the tree out there at a baptism service. Another one of us did it underneath the tree out here on this side of the campus. Just begin to believe differently than you do now, believing that he died for you so that you don't have to. And you don't have to say anything special. In your own words, you express, I know I need a Savior. And I don't understand all this, but I understand that I need you. So right now, I'm going to pause for 30 seconds. It doesn't take very long. And just give us a moment of silence. So that if you're in a place where you're trying to make that decision, where you're trying to say, I believe this, and you want a moment to talk to God, I'm going to give you just a few moments to do that right now. And if after the service you'd like to talk to me and talk more about it, I'd be glad to. I'm going to stick around. We're serving food. I'll be here to stay for sure. All right? And you can find me, and I would love to talk to you more about it. Scott would love to talk to you more about it and answer any question you have. So right now, I'm just going to pause. If you're a believer, I'm praying that you would pray for the work of the Holy Spirit in this moment right now. And if you're here and you're wrestling with God, I'd ask you to stop wrestling and start believing. Let's pause for one moment. In the quietness of your heart, I hope this morning that if you've been wrestling with God about these things, that you would this morning just tell him you know you need him. He'll meet you right there in those honest, earnest words. Father, this morning, we thank you for the truth of Scripture and the way that we can build a foundation on it, where we can live our life on it with certainty. And not only this life, but we will live the next life with certainty as well. Father, I pray this morning that if there's anyone here who has really been wrestling and struggling with what they believe and and with what they understand about Scripture, that today would be a day where they would begin to understand that simple faith, believing in you is what it takes to come into a relationship with Christ and to have their sins paid for. Today, Father, we thank you that on that day, centuries ago, 
that surely and simply and unthinkably, unimaginably, by the power of God, that you overcame death and you came back to life. And in your glory and your power, that stone was rolled away and you walked again among men. And in that, you sealed the opportunity for all mankind to have the opportunity to overcome death and to live eternally with you. Today, we worship you, we honor you, and we praise you that you went to such great, elaborate lengths, the unthinkable for me, for us, for this world. And it's in your name we pray. Amen and amen.